0: Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to make cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings as much as the buildings themselves. Fraser's Property is an integrated developer, asset manager, and investor working in commercial and industrial space. Their portfolio includes offices and business parks, and their workspaces are home to over 500 companies. Today, I'm speaking to their chief executive, Ilaria Del Beato, about how much has changed in the office market and what the challenges and opportunities are in the years ahead.
1: Hi, um, I'm Ilaria Del Beato. I'm the CEO of Fraser's Property in in the UK, um, and I am responsible for the business in the UK. I joined Fraser's four years ago in January 2018, And over the time that I've been with the business, we have managed to grow our team and our assets fourfold. Um, So it's been a a busy four years, obviously in the middle of that COVID or at the end of that COVID um, and having to deal with that as well. But we've managed to make some progress and, um, and things are looking very exciting. And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about that today.
0: So, tell me a bit about what Fraser's, um, what areas Fraser's works in, what your portfolio looks like.
1: So, um, starting from the top, Fraser's is listed in, in, um, in Singapore, Fraser's Property Limited. The company describes itself as multinational. It doesn't aim to be global and it isn't global. Um, it has been very big businesses in Singapore, Australia, and Thailand, and then smaller growing businesses in Vietnam, China. Germany, and and the UK. Across all of those geographies, a combination of uh, residential, offices, retail, predominantly in Singapore, hotels, and industrial, with different markets sort of focusing on different areas. Some great, really exciting expertise around Multi-use type assets, particularly from the guys in Australia, um, and some real innovation, particularly in industrial from the, the guys in, in Thailand. Some some real sort of ground property companies. In the UK, we we have a portfolio of hotels and service departments, which I'm not responsible for, and I have a colleague that is responsible for, and you know he's had a um, a challenging couple of years, pleased to say things are looking very good at the moment in that portfolio. For my business, it's um, what you could describe as sheds, beds and desks. So we're industrial, residential and offices, and our offices are both in and out of town. And I think in everything that we try to do in the UK, we try to do things at scale because we find that scale gives us an opportunity to curate and manage environments to do what it is that we are trying to do, which is creating places for good, creating places for our residents or our occupiers to benefit from.
0: So you mentioned COVID and this kind of period of upheaval. What have you seen uh, in your sheds and desks area specifically as um as that kind of the business park the out of town uh distribution and the the office market has kind of undergone what we thought was a radical change is it as radical as we think it was i think sometimes when you're in the industry
1: you don't necessarily see um the changes in the industry because it's sort of happening all around you the whole time isn't it it's like you're it's like your children growing up, isn't it? You don't necessarily see them growing up. I actually spent um, five years outside of the property industry doing a, another another role, and then came back into it. And uh, my uh, as I was meeting up with old contacts, they would say to me, "Oh well, look, nothing's changed, Delora, in the five years that you've been away." And I'd look at them and go, "Oh my God, do you realise how much has changed?" And and for me, uh, you know, COVID has been has been that as well a lot has changed in the last couple of years but actually what it has been is been an acceleration of trends that were happening in all of those sectors in any event there was definitely a trend within the office sector towards densification and more um, ergonomic use of office space economical use of office space and clearly that has continued in the um, logistics sector obviously the sort of underlying growth in the parts of the economy that drive that sector compounded by I think some of the the outcomes of Brexit and supply like supply pipeline implications and then you know now I think what we're seeing is as a move to start unwinding some of the globalization that's been happening over the last 20 years it's clearly sort of driving driving that sector obviously the Sheds industrial logistics is performing very strongly for those of your listeners that are interested from the investment perspective. yields are are compressing to sort of all time lows, and we're seeing rental growth in that sector that i you know I can't remember for the last ten plus years seeing that sort of rental growth in the sector. Total returns are very strong last year and they look like they're going to be very strong this year again. Well, Office this, this is a slightly different story um, clearly there are some Question marks around how offices are used in the future. In a post-COVID environment, there will be a requirement for us, for from employees that, that we will all want to work more agilely than we have done before. As I said, I do think this is an acceleration of a trend that was already there, and our office space will need to be more agile than it was before as well, as it becomes, uh, you know, more flexible to support different working environments and different working needs. But those challenges, I think, actually give us an opportunity going forward in the in the office space. And given you know, our know ex, our exposure as a business, our our understanding office space, I think we, you know, this is an area where you know we need to spend some time and we need to sort of back ourselves as well in terms of being able to rise to those um, potential challenges.
0: So that move to that kind of more agile working, which was kind of happening already, has that changed your approach to how you're um, conceiving? Because I know some of the things that you've done in some of your uh, projects is invest in amenities, or you know, cycling infrastructure, or electric cars, or 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 um, sports facilities, you know, near your offices, mm-hmm. and that kind of combination of um, of leisure and well being. Um, interventions. It, has that become even more heightened? Um, or has it, um, ha, you know, is that something that it was perhaps people were piloting and now it's a must have? Or is there still, um, you know, some, uh, some, I guess, shifts taking place that maybe we're not aware of yet?
1: so let me give you a couple of examples um, which I think may help answer your question in some way not that I think I have necessarily all of the answers Um, but we've just taken some more office space for our own occupation and uh, in fitting out that office space uh, obviously we need some workstations, we need some desks but we we realize that actually uh, in the rest of the space we need to think about fitting that space out a little bit differently to how we might have done pre-COVID so rather than ramming in as many desks as we can and creating a big open plan space actually we are putting less desks in creating more meeting rooms more collaborative spaces more telephone points better technology the technology has to work really really well because you know when you get into the office and you're doing a meeting where you've got you know members of your team. Working from home, dialing in for the meeting, and then surrounding you or your advisors on the phone or in the room or whatever. You need the technology needs to work really well. So we've spent a lot of time making sure that the technology is really slick and it works really well, um, and creating those spaces where the technology works well within those spaces. And 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 that can be simple things like meeting rooms with good soundproofing, um, so you can you know you can go in as a team and have a meeting and not worry about getting disturbed from what's happening outside of your space. But creating a sort of also an open plan collaborative space which has become sort of multifunctional. So you could, you could end up having a couple of breakout sessions up there or a, a large breakout session or, a, or in fact a social event. That I can see that there's some real, there's gonna be some real benefit to that type of space. So we thought about our own space much more creatively than we had done in the past to try and make sure that it's a place that people want to work. Because obviously part of our role here, uh, both as an employer and as a, to use an old-fashioned phrase, a landlord or a property owner, is to try and make spaces, create spaces that help employers attract and retain talent. So, you know, you've got to be able to pull people into that space and they want to be there. So that's what we've done with our own space in the business parks. um, And we have across the UK um, six business parks, all of which, as I said, we have um, scale. And by scale, I mean they are all upwards of 500,000 square feet across a combination of office, industrial, R&D type, workshoppy type space. So all sorts of different types of space. And they are all in significant single ownership. So in other words, we can we can control them. And that's really important because you need to have scale and you need to have single ownership to enable you to do what you want to do to create the amenity, to create the placemaking and thereby sort of creating those places that hopefully employers want to be and employees want to come and work. So what we've done at, at Winners Triangle, which is a business park that we own on the outside of Reading, and actually we started this journey after we bought the business park four years ago, so way pre-COVID, was we, invest, we started investing in the amenity. And what that meant initially was some really simple stuff, landscaping, um, making sure that the landscaping was up to date, and in landscaping, that also gave the opportunity to have walkways and running tracks so that, you know, people in their times could go for a walk or go for a run, that there were places that they could sit down outside to eat their sandwich or whatever they wanted to do. They, they could still connect to Wi-Fi, so you could sit outside and be on your laptop, um, assuming that you could get some shade and didn't have the sun on your screen. And then we went on from there. So we created um, a sports hub, a multi-use um, pitch, football, netball, whatever you want to do it, hockey, whatever you want to do on it. Some other ancillary sports facilities like um, Bulls Pitch. So we're really sort of creating an environment there that, you know, helps the people on the park. And then we went further than that um, and we created what we call the Exchange, which is a, a collaborative office space. So you've got somewhere outside of your own office environment, your own desk where you can go and grab a cup of coffee, sit and meet with colleagues, or indeed other people in the park and have a conversation about hopefully business. And and now we're working in partnership with the local authority. And this has been a, a great win for us that we've managed to create this partnership with the local authority to now also improve the transport interchange. We're very lucky at Venice Triangle that there is a train station there. It's on the main line into into Reading. There was an existing park and ride. and We are in combination with the local authority improving that park and ride facility, improving the um, interchange with the the train station and how it all connects into the park. um, And that's a, a really nice opportunity. So
0: this idea of well-being and this idea that you can um, go for your run at your lunch or kind of have this, you know, uh, connect in in that connection that we found during COVID to, you know, kind of uh, nature, basically being allowed and sport being allowed to happen um, during your breaks and how do you see, I mean, I know, um, Fraser's has made kind of a net zero commitment going forward. So Mm. what's, what's your approach to, um, to your spaces in that sense, what's the, um, the ambition there and what's driving that change? Is it linked to, you know, investment or partners, or is this very much led by the end users who want to see that kind of net zero commitment?
1: So I think what's driving the sustainability agenda is it's, it's coming from many different places. I mean, obviously there's, uh, you know, regulation coming down the track assets, but I think probably more more importantly that Fraser's Property as a, as a, as a company has made some commitments to um, sustainability across its portfolio multinationally. Um, and obviously we're, we as a business in the UK are delighted to be part of a group that, that thinks about sustainability like that. Post-COVID, definitely, employees are looking for space and environments that, meets, that meet those sustainability criteria. I think that's every, everybody, you know, it's been raised on everybody's a, a agenda. And, and frankly, what's going on in Ukraine at the moment and gas prices and everything else, I think will only continue to sort of under, underline all, all of that. And with occupy um, the employees looking for that, the employers, the occupiers, the corporates are also getting on that on that on that train as well. Um, and and that's an important part of their journey. We now have twenty five percent of our occupiers by value who are committed to net zero. So that's a really significant proportion of our occupier base. So working with them to help them with that journey. I think is part of how we see the new our new role as an owner of property that you have a much closer partnership with your occupiers to support each other in your in your combined um, ambitions and obviously sustainability and the green the whole green agenda is an important part of that.
0: That's interesting do you think there's a changing relationship between property owners and and tenants in general? Um, Uh, Definitely
1: yeah I mean I think we think as a a Fraser's Property UK that there has to be a different relationship between property owners and tenants Um, and in fact the way that that we manage our our properties our estates is that our asset managers are on the estates they're located at the property because we want them to be close to the tenants the occupiers and the employees so they have that close relationship they understand what it is that people need um, on the parks on the estates in the properties um, so yes absolutely there's definitely an evolving relationship and it has to be a closer partnership than it was previously I think a world where you know as a old-fashioned landlord you collected the rent once a quarter is is not the world of the future it's not the way we think about it definitely
0: does that respond to um, growing demand for property more as a service has that come out of you know or is that linked to changes in in tenancy agreements you know are people thinking on a more short term basis so you need to retain them more more actively
1: yeah i think um undoubtedly tenants tenancies are shorter uh, new tenancies are shorter than they used to be so um and therefore as the owner of property you're always thinking about you know what happens next and frankly once you have managed to attract a tenant to a building then uh, your number one priority should be helping retain that tenant in that building because winning them is the really difficult bit Um, and then you know retain working hard to retain them is what we want to try and do next and actually across our portfolio we have retention rates that vary between 60 and 70 percent which we're really proud of and I think that's all about the way that we think about interacting with our tenants to make sure that we try and work with them. I mean, obviously we're not going to be able to retain everybody. Um, They'll make different corporate decisions, which which may mean that the space is right for them or wrong for them in the future, but where we can retain people. And again, that's the, the great thing about having a business park and having that scale. You know, if somebody wants to downsize, you can hopefully move them into another building, keep them on the estate, but give them less space. Equally, if they want to increase their space requirement, hopefully you can find some space for them to increase into as well. The, the main priority is keeping them.
0: The business park doesn't have a great reputation in terms of placemaking in no. the past, and it seems to be one very associated with the car and the parking lot, the big parking lot, quite a lot. So, do you see that changing? I mean, you talked about some of the interventions you made, which do sound, you know, markedly different to the business park we imagine in our heads but um, is that something you see happening more and more
1: yeah i think you know the business park the business park has had a rough ride over the last 10 to 15 years and fallen out of popularity but i think that's because they became very sterile environments and you know when you were comparing a business park to a inner city and the amenities that an inner city could provide to a an employee or an occupier of space, then uh, the inner city would be be winning. In a model like we have, where, as I said, you know, you have scale and single ownership and you're able to provide those amenities, then the business part becomes a very credible option for people again. And actually some of the benefits of being out of town, having some space around you, um, for a lot of people driving to work, Hopefully in the future, more and more people driving in their electric cars is actually a really you know, sustainable way for them to achieve their commute into the office. And so I think you know, there's definitely a place for the business park and the right sorts of parks are you know, continuing to attract interest.
0: Is that somewhere that you're looking to increase um, residential as well? Are you bringing residential into those business park environments or is that not something that you're doing at this stage?
1: We haven't done that, um, although we, we do own a business park outside of Birmingham, which has sort of residential, recently built residential all around it, and a previous owner had done that. It, I actually think it works quite well, actually. Um, we at the moment haven't had the opportunity to do that, but I think we would look at it if we, if we could, if we did have the opportunity.
0: I want to talk about sheds, which also have a bad reputation in terms of placemaking. But as you said, it's a huge growing area. And in fact, we're seeing logistics coming into the city centre, onto high streets. We're seeing them popping up kind of everywhere. And even, um, you know, shops that formerly had good high street trade effectively becoming logistics hubs for their own businesses. But I mean, what what do you see um, from your perspective? Uh, I mean, you talked about it being kind of a... A place where are seeing um, lots of return on investment, um, but in terms of where that that sector is is going, and whether you know it's becoming more hub and spoke, or it is you know in need of these giant spaces. We talk about the shortage. We hear a lot about the shortage of warehouse space and logistics space all the time, um, and I think maybe. We haven't really had a conversation about the urban design or successful planning of those spaces and what, you know, what that means to integrate that into um, to communities or cities or or out of town locations.
1: There's a lot of demand and it's being driven by different parts of the economy. And as I said a moment ago, I think there's some... Uh, fallout from Brexit and supply chain issues, which are driving it even further, and also some sort of new technologies as well. You know, particularly around um, sustainable, renewable type technologies as well, which are again sort of driving the sector. So you've got sort of the online retailing impact on the sector, then you've got the onshoring Brexit supply chain type of impact on the sector, and then you've got the sort of new technologies impact on the sector all of which are sort of driving demand in logistics sector. I would say the planners are working quite hard to try and manage that demand, but there's definitely more that we need to do we will need to do. And I think as as those, um, those developments sort of creep into the edges of our cities as well, exactly as you say, how we sort of integrate that with our city infrastructure is gonna be more and more important. So in
0: other areas, words, we, have, we need to do some work on it, basically. We need we to do. figure out how yeah. we integrate this, these large, uh, this need for storage and this large storage um, I don't know about capacity where, and
1: then- I don't know about where you live, but where I live in, in Southwest London, any traditionally what would have been used as light manufacturing or last mile type delivery um, spaces gone and it's being redeveloped as residential so where exactly is that we you know find these needs and 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 there are needs for you know dark kitchens and as well as last mile that will have to be within the city if there's going to be a real crisis for space i think within a within the city environment and it's going to need some innovative design solutions and multi-layered industrial is obviously something that's been Talked about and is happening, and maybe that's one opportunity to solve this problem.
0: But you point out an interesting point: it was like these cities we were, they were kind of built for this. We had all of these kind of spaces, but we kind of use them for something else now. So there were underground wine cellars and 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 you know railway arch type places, but many of them have become something else um, entirely. And now this kind of need for light industrial coming back in. Um, do you think that, you know, we spend enough time, you know, we have the kind of a, uh, I mean, individual property owners, you think probably quite hard about the mix and the and the future of your plot of land. But, you know, we don't really necessarily have that kind of city planner who is really thinking about how these pieces or maybe the landscape is changing so quickly that it's just really difficult for planners to keep up with that kind of mm. uh, mix and need
1: that is not my area of expertise I'm not (laughs) you're taking me down a road that I'm probably uh, not, not sort of qualified to comment on so
0: I'm gonna stop that one if you say that's okay I think it's um it's really be good to hear from you from you know your area of expertise about what you think is going to um or is the challenges that you see coming to your sector and the kind of opportunities you mentioned as well
1: yeah i think maybe uh just going back to the business part for a minute and sort of refocusing on what we were talking about on the sustainability side of things the other things that we've done is is obviously think about the well-being aspects as well and how we use accreditations, using accreditations to help us. not only market the space, um, but also sort of drive the right outcomes for us as well. Make us think a little bit more, m- make us think a little bit more about what it is that we're doing in the business part- to meet the targets of, of an accreditation. Um, and, the, and the one that we've used recently, which is a relatively new accreditation is fitwell. Um, and that's, and that is about the health and well-being of in, in our case obviously we've used it for a business park but of a property for the occupiers um, and so the benefit to us of using the accreditation is it really makes you think about what it is that you're being scored against and how it is that you sort of meet those challenges in your park uh, or your property um, so we were delighted to get three stars for Farnborough Business Park uh, we managed to achieve which, I, which is the highest scoring two stars for two of our other parks and and that's given us a a really good to-do list of things that we other things that we need to do to push those up to three-star level
0: It's interesting because we usually think about those accreditations as kind of a marketing exercise. We try to kind of achieve them in order to sell it, which obviously it might help with. But do they also count towards things like social value or social impact if you're trying to kind of, um, you know, from an investment perspective, you're trying to show a difference that you're making?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that they are definitely a marketing tool. Absolutely. But I think we're also thinking about them as also as, as helping. This is such a quickly... If evolving space and everything and any ideas that we can get around you know what it is that that we should be delivering is is helpful and and so using the accreditation as to drive that um that thought process as well is the other way of thinking about it
0: i wanted to pick up on the net zero and you mentioned the kind of changing gas prices and the kind of changing um uh, kind of metrics of sustainability that people are working towards and i'm i'm wondering whether um that that kind of retrofit of your existing properties you know for energy efficiency if that's something that you are undertaking or looking to undertake as part of that or whether your net zero um targets are more about operation of those um or new construction going forward but how how are you um looking undertaking that journey let's say
1: okay so as a relatively new business in the uk we started our um sustainability journey only two years ago so we're sort of right at the at the the beginning of this as a as a company multinationally we've signed up to gresb which is the global real estate sustainability benchmark and uh the good thing about gresb is um because it looks at sustainability from the full spectrum of ESG, environmental, social and governance, we are thinking about it sort of very holistically as you think about Grebs, because you're also thinking about, um, you know, leadership and policy and uh, employees, as well as, you know, how you're operating your properties and everything. And I like that um, 360 degree approach. But what we're doing in the properties, because we are, at the beginning, relatively close to the beginning of our journey, is we started in the things that we can do first. Obviously, we need to prioritise. So, we, why we start is with operations. How can we operate the properties better than we have done before? And how can we support our tenants, our occupiers and the employees on their sustainability journey? So for us, that has meant making sure that we have all of our energy performance certificates in place, that we set standards for refurbishment of our buildings. Uh, so we're getting to BRIAM very good or BRIAM excellent. And we're also looking at BRIAM in use as well. So we're sort of focusing on that operational side of things. Uh, we've made a very significant commitment to um, solar panels across our portfolio. So we're we're now in the process of um fitting solar panels across various buildings in the portfolio um, and uh, creating quite a significant renewable energy stream as a result of doing that. The next stages for us are now really engaging with our tenants on what's called scope three emissions, which is their use of the building and, and their carbon usage and how we can help them manage that better. And that's, I always think of that as sort of going forward and then uh, going backwards into the property life cycle. How can we do the um, development piece better as well? And whether, and whether be that whether we're doing sort of ground up development or it's actually retrofitting or refurbishment of existing buildings. And we do we do both. Um, and that's the sort of the next stage of our journey is really getting to the either ends of a property life cycle, if that makes sense.
0: I'm also a fan of Gresb. I really like um, their approach and I think that it is um, holistic. And um, I think how, what's your approach as an organization internally? You know, do you have someone who is responsible for sustainability or do, do you spread that kind of across the whole team Is everyone, um, you know, kind of targeted or, or trained to, begin to consider the impact?
1: So we as a team all have sustainability objectives and uh, and KPIs, and we're measured against that. And and it is everybody's responsibility, but we also have somebody that coordinates this for us. And the reason that we have that is because the technical expertise, and I am not the sustainability technical expert, absolutely, But fortunately I have a colleague that is, um, and we need that technical expertise in the team to enable us to sort of drive this forward. So um, we we have somebody that is responsible for it and she works very closely with everybody across the business to make sure that we drive these right outcomes.
0: Do you think having everybody have KPIs is really necessary?
1: Yeah, really important. It, you know, it can't only be Amira as a lady that's responsible for it, for us. Uh, but it can't only be Amira's responsibility you know it has to be everybody's responsibility otherwise we're not going to get the results that we want.
0: One of the questions that's come out of, of Brexit and also the Covid period where people were perhaps you know relocating in slightly different ways um is question around talent coming into the property industry and this kind of um, competition for talent do you think that we have the skills within the industry that we need um you know I, I guess there's questions around uh diversity and inclusion as well but particularly around you know that kind of uh talent coming through and uh, and also you mentioned this you know changing industry that's you know this kind of um acceleration uh, of trends do we have um, you know, the right, uh, are we recruiting the right kinds of people or is that something that um, that you are kind of addressing within your own growth, um, talent acquisition and where it comes from?
1: We undoubtedly have uh, problems around diversity. Uh, and, and, and when I talk about diversity, I'm most definitely talking about it in its very broadest sense and not, not only gender. And we have uh, challenges around diversity, at the, at the, obviously as you sort of more more senior levels in organisations. But we're not going to be able to solve that until we make sure that the the pipeline at the bottom, so to speak, is is truly um, diverse. I am a big fan of age diversity in any organisation, so that means my more mature colleagues, and it means my uh, more less mature colleagues. And I think both of them have something to teach each other. Um, and I really enjoy working with both ends of the spectrum. And I'm not going to say which end of the spectrum I consider myself to be at. <laughs> I'm, I love age diversity in an organization. I think it's a really it's a really nice thing. Um, I think, I, I'll give you an example actually, of something I'm seeing in our team at the moment. Um, we're on a, a, a data journey. We're on a sort of a technology journey, uh, which is fascinating. And we will hopefully be uh, able to access a really complete set of live data in the not too distant future, which will enable us to um, review and make decisions about um, our portfolio in, in ways that I'm not sure that all of us can quite imagine at the moment and and actually that's okay I don't think we need to be prescriptive at this stage about exactly what that data is going to do for us but being sort of open-minded enough to understand that this is this is a uh, a big new area for us and um, and having that data and being able to um, manipulate it and use it to make informed unemotional decisions about what we should be doing in the portfolio to uh, maximize whatever outcomes it is that we're striving for. Um, I'm, I'm really ex- excited about that. And it is a challenge for us all to think about data in, in, a, in a different way. And I, I, I think that's just one example of I think how we have all got to evolve as an industry. And so I'm, I'm sure there are areas where we'll need to employ more people that understand um, data and how to manipulate data better. However, I'm also a big fan of not trying to do everything ourselves and sort of recognising where it is that, that, you know, we as property people, surveyors in old language, are not the experts and actually getting somebody in that has a different expertise that you can then teach the property piece to is is a really good way of doing these things.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because I mean, coming from a kind of journalism background we went from uh, you know very knowing very little about our audiences to having you know analytics so we can tell you know what people are reading and what they're interested in what they're clicking on and having all of this information and it really informing a lot of decision making. Um, both both in positive ways and, and in less positive ways. Now, many of them decided by algorithms on social media and all sorts of things. And I think there is a journey where you kind of end up going through a period of self-analysis. Well, how do we make these decisions before? You know, how do, we, how do we actually do it in the absence of data? And, do, you know, does this reduce the amount of, You know, bad calls that you make or instinctive calls or repetition of just doing it the way you've always done it. So I think yeah. yeah, Let me
1: let me give you an example which sort of ties into the sustainability stuff as well. So we're we're in the process of building um an office building on the east side of the city, Whitechapel High Street, 160,000 square feet over 12 floors. It's the it's a um the retrofit, it's a retrofit of an existing building where we've retained the frame and then we've added another. Six stories on top of the existing six stories. Obviously, in designing that building, we have designed. We are. We have got to a stage of um, understanding how that building will look in terms of you know what it, how it will operate and um, what its energy requirements will be, and you know how the air conditioning will work, and you know all of those aspects um, have been sort of built into the design of the building as we hopefully let complete the building um, in September and then hopefully let it and hand it over to um, occupiers of the future. Traditionally, what you would have done is handed them over a manual, which they probably stuck away on a shelf and they completely ignored. And any of that, all of that work that went into how you might operate the building to minimise your energy load is sort of almost thrown away, where uh, hopefully in the future what we'll actually be able to do is... uh, hand them over something which is much more live and we'll label them to operate the building as it was designed to be operated or or if not um within a framework of which it's been designed and get the energy saving benefits out of that building that we originally thought that it could have
0: finally you you mentioned opportunities coming forward you were saying that you know you think that this shake-up in the way that we work and the way that we approach things is kind of throwing up The opportunity to do things differently. What opportunities are you most excited about that are kind of coming out of this um, this post COVID period?
1: Well, I do think there will be an opportunity for us to do something exciting in the office space um, because I think we have a um, a different way of thinking about how we design office space, how we operate office space, how we think about um, scale and size and how that sort of supports our activities, how we think about um, creating spaces that people, that employees want want to be in. Um, and, that, and that gives us a, a, a really nice opportunity to, to do something.
0: Thanks so much for uh, speaking to me and sharing your experience and your thoughts with me. It's been a really great um, getting to know Fraser's property a bit better and yourself. Great, thanks, Christine. Thanks for listening. Our podcast is produced by Simon Mercer with music by Fortet. If you like what you hear, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com/thedeveloperuk. You can sign up to our newsletter on our website, thedeveloper.live, and check out our live events on making more sustainable and equitable places at festivalofplace.co.uk. Thanks a lot. See you next time.